I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen. But I realized the city was a part of me. It was in my blood. And I would do anything to make it a better place. Maybe if he had an iron suit or a magic hammer, explain why you keep getting your asses handed to you. Defenders TV podcast, the podcast about the Netflix TV shows Daredevil, aka Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist, and also about the Marvel Connected Cinematic Universe, including Avengers Age of Ultron. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm your lawyer by day, defender by night. Hi, I'm one of your other hosts, John. I am the Iron Fist. I am also the man who cannot be caged. Except on a Tuesdays when I'm Jessica Jones. <laughs> yes, as you'll probably hear, there's a, just the two of us here this week um, for this podcast. Uh, unfortunately, Chris and Irene were unavailable to join us for this one, but we're hoping to give us uh, as good a coverage as all four of us together give for this particular episode. And John, are you excited about our coverage of uh, Avengers Age of Ultron? I certainly am. I really cannot wait to see this film. I can't wait to see Ultron in all his glory. Um, I'm wondering, is there going to be some kind of, you know, little end post-credit scene? Mm -hmm. Hopefully, in my own head, it it has to be Doctor Strange. Otherwise, I'm not going to be happy Uh um, with the end credit scene. Not necessarily the film, I hasten to add. I can't wait. Um, There's some... Part of the reason why I am loving um, Daredevil up to now, we're starting to see, you know, with Madame Gao, with uh, Nobu, all these Far Eastern elements that that link in, obviously as well, very much with the Iron Fist, Mm -hmm. which is another character that I really, really like, with the Ancient One and Doctor Strange and the potential for his involvement with this. I really do hope so, but he probably won't, who knows. Um, So I'm really looking forward to see what the post-credits element is and i really want to see scarlet witch and quicksilver obviously the miracles in this mm-hmm. case and see how they play a role that i'm really excited to see what they do with those two characters and of course it's josh whedon behind the behind the lens what is there not to like about all things whedon um you know from buffy through firefly serenity the first avengers his own little version of um, Taming of the Shrew in his own kitchen in black and white. Great. I, I love the Whedon. Yeah, the Whedon verse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I'm so excited to see what they do with Captain America now. One of my favorite films of all time, as I spoke about in one of our previous episodes, was Captain America the Winter Soldier. And this is the first time we see Captain America coming back after after all the events of the, the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. We get to see Nick Fury again, hopefully. Um, well, I know, I know we will. We do. We've we seen will. him in the trailer. Yeah, so uh, so let's let's see what happens. Let's see what happens with S.H.I.E.L.D. and how they're going to be involved in the, in the Avengers this time around. So really excited about it. Uh, so we'll be watching that on uh, this Thursday. So as you hear this episode is released, we should be heading off to the cinema to watch, uh, to watch the Avengers Age of Ultron. Yeah, and we will be podcasting about that probably over the weekend with Chris and Irene. And so we will put up a spoilerific, excitable podcast about that probably um, at uh, that weekend um, or the following week. 
Um, we'll also still be podcasting about Daredevil and we'll release uh, another episode then of Daredevil uh, after our Age of Ultron. Um, so I think that'll be episode eight. And then we'll move back into our regular schedule of two episodes of, of Daredevil um, and our podcast um, each week until the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. And with that, we've also got some um, more feedback from our listeners that we're going to uh, bring up and discuss now on, on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got some more feedback from Rose. Um, I think we read our, our, the feedback from Rose actually out of order. One was delivered to our website and one came into our, our email address, feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. So uh, do apologize if this sounds a little bit out of order. But Rose gave some feedback about uh, our coverage of episode two of Daredevil. She says, hi, guys, it's me again. Uh, once more, this was an excellent talk. You always cover the things that I like about the episodes, and even the ones that I don't like. I was really impressed while I was watching to see that they kept Karen's bruises. It's something so small, but that I love. And I had the same feeling as you guys did. I thought, how is Murdoch going to explain that terrible shape to his friends tomorrow? Uh, it's one of the gags of the 2003 movie, actually. The, he walked into a door, that kind of stuff. Uh, I was really careful, not, and don't add any spoilers to this comment, just to make it clear, this was about the 2003 movie, uh, Daredevil. Yeah, I think um, the continuity in this show so far is really, really good, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, yeah, there was the whole element of, say, uh, Karen's marks and bruising around her neck. I think that's um, what Rose is referring to. And I think Chris pointed that out. And it, it, it's where the prison officer um, tries to kill her and it make it look like a suicide. Yeah. She's, got the, um, she's still got the bruises around her, her neck. I think it's just really, really well done. And I think um, I was mentioning about sort of the continuity of Fisk's plan as well through the different episodes and how that's been worked with um, Daredevil taking Blake's mobile phone and then all those different um, sites were essentially then the New York Police Department are sending sort of corrupt cops in the pay of Fisk to go and execute all the Russians that are still surviving. Yeah. So even the non-visible continuity I think is really really good in this uh, in this series so far. Yeah, they're definitely using the Netflix model to their advantage having 13 episodes out and putting them out very much like a 13 episode film, you know, it's it's uh, the the usual process of making a TV show uh, is that you do a pilot and then a couple of months later you come back and do some episodes and then hopefully your show gets extended and you add some more episodes on. Uh, we've seen that from Gotham TV podcast where we cover the TV show Gotham where, you know, it was a show that started with a pilot and then 3 months later they started doing 12 more episodes and then they added another 4 or 5 and then they added another five or six you know sometimes they don't have cast members return sometimes they um the the show will take a, a big turn halfway through the season and uh, that's not something we're getting with daredevil so far almost every episode has, has started at the end of the previous episode it's kicked off straight away yeah it's a hugely different feel to it i mean there is also you can sense i think um from gotham when we've been looking at it watching the episodes reviewing it that you do get a sense, um, particularly because it went from 13 episodes to 16 and then to 22, that the stories are fine, but you, you kind of can see where um, the original 13 was supposed to happen, where yeah. the original mid-season break kind of came or the mid-season cliffhanger came. And that's all really quite interesting. Um, whereas I think with... With what we're seeing in Daredevil at the moment, it is this is our story that we want to tell, yeah. and here is the broadcast time 
that we have to do it in, and that is the 13 episodes. Exactly. And I think that makes for potentially much more um, sort of concise, consistent, or just knowing storytelling. It, it, it's very evident that um, one set out with a predefined 13 episodes and story, knowing that it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, whereas the other was... Here's the pilot. We have to prove ourselves. Yes, we did. We got 13 episodes. The numbers were good. Here's 16. The numbers are even better than we thought with the um, additional um, downloadable and recordings that um, that people have watched sort of not at the time of broadcast. Here's 22. Yeah. So it's kind of an interesting difference um, that I can only describe it as a feeling for myself that you can spot that in in the actual pieces Um, so it's an interesting comparison definitely and one of the great things that I've noticed on Daredevil I don't know whether you've seen this if you you just scan through the episodes on Netflix the actual length of the episodes can change as well which is really good in the fact that it actually probably speaks to the editor of the episodes deciding what length the show should be and how to do how to do the the time timing correctly in each of the episodes you know how, how to let an episode breathe or a scene breathe a little bit more than you would do network television when you've got to get to an ad break come back from an ad break get to another ad break uh, get to the end of the episode with a, a huge moment so that someone turns turns back in next week for another piece how to get to a mid-season break where there's going to be a gap of four or five weeks before the next episode's broadcast it just feels even though it's only like a minute or two difference but you'd never be able to do that on network television you'd be told this is exactly the slot you have available for you because the adverts have to fit around it and so i think that's an interesting point and yeah thanks very much for that rose yeah and i think um as well as quickly you know the last episode that we looked at condemned that was 48 minutes yeah. some have been 55 and i think this one is again up to 52 53 minutes right. an extra five minutes on to to the show so that's an interesting uh, way of dealing with it as well yeah. um definitely so thanks rose yeah yeah so i presume if it's ever broadcast on network television they're gonna have to cut a lot out of some episodes and maybe pad a couple of other episodes differently yeah but that, that's quite interesting um, so Rose goes on to say, uh, did you notice that Claire shows where to put the knife on the guy's face, touching Daredevil's face, not the guy's? Um, I know it's also small, but it is interesting because Claire isn't still sure what, what Matt's abilities are and how they work. Um, so she does what you're supposed to do if you're giving instructions to a visually impaired person. She's a nurse, so she's taught this kind of stuff. I just thought it was beautiful. just thought it was a really nice touch. Really good point, Rose. I didn't notice that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. When Matt's about to interrogate the guy on the roof... Um, she she points out to him that you need to hit him just underneath the eyebrow and point it out on Matt's face rather than on the guy's because obviously Matt wouldn't be able to see that. Uh, really interesting point from Rose there. And again, thanks for pointing out these kind of bits we may miss as we go along. But I think it's a really important thing for the the show um, to to get that whole aspect of this blind superhero and street level hero. Um, Right, and and at least flavors of that because you know we don't necessarily um, understand those elements, and I think that's a really important part of this show as well in getting that aspect um, across. Um, so that that's really good, and even then with Claire's um, character as a nurse, the fact that you know she's feeling for the ribs in that episode as well of Matt Murdock while she's looking to to release the pressure from his lungs and mm-hmm. so on um, again is really a just good um, eye for detail and it also then speaks of the continuity that Rose has spoken about before this mm-hmm. idea of 
the, the strong continuity of the reality of these different people playing professionals or, or different characters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And finally, Rose goes on to say, I like how you talk about the cinematic influence on these episodes. Uh, I'm not that keen on, keen on cinema myself, um, but I did see some of the influence from Oh Boy on this particular episode. And it's episode two with that amazing fight sequence at the end of the episode, is, is what Rose is talking about. Um, I didn't get the reference to Pulp Fiction at first, but thanks so much for pointing it out. Uh, I really liked that little moment that felt like Pulp Fiction from, from episode two as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Don't worry, Rose. Um, we didn't get all of those cinematic references yeah. either, so we're in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very much the cinephile of, of the group. I do have some pieces that pop out to me that feel like other movies that I've seen in the past and do and will bring them up in future. Thanks very much for that feedback, Rose. Uh, John, do you have some more feedback there? Yeah, and then we received some feedback from Ben and Adele Langenrush on Facebook. Um, they say, uh, new listener here, congrats on a well-done podcast series. So thank you so much for, for that feedback. That's great. Your enjoyment of the show and the books make it a pleasure. Uh, unlike some podcasts where they spend the whole time <laughs> giving out uh, bad or snidey comments about things that they are talking about or other comic book movies. I suppose we kind of had this discussion and, I mean, yeah. you, you can obviously draw out the negatives there, but for me, I... Um, my own personal view is that I'm seeing Daredevil on screen for 13 episodes mm -hmm. for roughly 13 hours. I'm seeing Vincent D'Onofrio do a fantastic um, portrayal of Wilson Fisk. Um, all this story that I've read in comic books, um, like such as Frank Miller's Man Without Fear, yeah. um, and Ed Brubacker, Michael Lark's um, Man Without Fear as well, the the later kind of version of that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going, wow. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of this stuff, so I'm there going, wow. Um, and I suppose if I'm picking out negative aspects of, of, of the, the show, it's ones that maybe just don't fit yeah. within the story that they're saying. I, it's not that I'm being snidey or, or negative Absolutely. for the sake of it. Um, or for any other reason than to say it didn't feel right for me. Um, but I hope we do give a, a positive uh, look at, at these shows because so much work and effort from the cast, the crew, uh, the showrunners, the studios, whatever, go into this. Absolutely. So, And I'm just grateful to be able to watch it yeah yeah definitely even so far we can already tell the care and love that goes into these shows you know we podcasted about gotham tv podcast as i mentioned a couple of times before i promise i'll stop mentioning it but <laughs> we've been doing it for over a year now and we simply are fans of these kind of tv shows we want to talk about it we want to make sure that you guys hear uh, hear our thoughts and hear our honest opinions about the shows but fundamentally we do this for free we do this at, at uh at no cost to anybody and we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't enjoy the shows themselves. You know, we don't. We choose our shows very specifically. The shows that we're interested in, we choose them because we're excited and we're interested about them. And the reason why we podcast is to get that enjoyment out to other people and hopefully bring a bit of a community together who are interested in those shows as well. So we're delighted to hear that we're getting the kind of listeners we're getting on the show, and we're always delighted to hear feedback from you guys. So thank you very much for that, Ben and, ben and Adele. Yeah, and Ben and Adele should add go on to on a specific aspect related to Karen and, and her portrayal so far in, in the episodes is that the problem with Karen is that the comic fans knows and um, they know where her story goes and the writers are trying to add these teasers but not going full on 
into that that story mm. um, and the foggy bit reminded me of the spider-man 3 scene with mj and her boyfriend and the kiss on the sofa yeah so it, it's really interesting because i mean that's the other thing you know comic book movies have such a wealth of material mm-hmm. to access and so many people have read these comics, maybe from a, a child, maybe, you know, it's encyclopedic knowledge almost. Yeah. And they have their own view of how these characters should be and how they um, should behave and how their, their their story arc should go. And, of course, there are other people who simply put, are coming to these for the first time. This is yeah. a, a new... A version or retelling of these stories um, to, in some cases, for, for new audiences. These people may go on to read, you know, Jeff Loeb's Yellow. Mm-hmm. They may go on to read uh, The Man Without Fear by Frank Miller. They may go on to, to look at uh, Ed Brubaker's Man Without Fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all these other great Daredevil stories that are in comic book form because of this TV show. Yeah. And Hopefully, it's something that we've talked about in um, in Gotham as well, is that, you know, one of the things we're excited to see is where these TV shows can influence the comics mm-hmm. and add new characters or situations or developments onto the characters. Yeah. We're always kind of looking out for that as well. So, I mean, yeah, I totally understand and and get that that aspect that you talk about with regards to Karen definitely yeah yeah and with regards to the uh, to the the moment from Spider-Man 3 uh, that's the scene with with Mary Jane trying to replicate the kiss she got from Spider-Man with her with her boyfriend on the uh, on the couch yeah a really uncomfortable scene to watch in the film again uh, really awkward kind of scene but uh, brilliant to hear your feedback Ben and Adele keep it keep getting in contact with us it's great um, if you guys want to send us any feedback again Email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. You can join us on Facebook on either of our accounts. We have a page and a group set up there, whichever takes your fancy. Just search for Defenders TV Podcast. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at DefendersCast. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, we've spoken quite a lot about the feedback, so that's great. Um, but I think um, with that, we should probably go on to the review of Daredevil. Yeah, so I forgot to mention it up front. This is episode 11 of Defenders TV podcast, which is talking about episode 7 of the Daredevil TV series and episode Stick, which is directed by Brad Turner, who's known for directing episodes of 24 in Prison Break, but goes all the way back to 21 Jump Street in, uh, in 1991 and before. So he's been around for a long time. Really. An experienced hand, basically, yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Definitely. Uh, this episode is written by Doug Petrie, who's known for American Horror Story, did a couple of episodes of that, but he did over 17 episodes of Buffy. Another Joss Whedonite um, from the world of the Whedonverse. And I remember him doing commentary on some episodes for Buffy the Vampire Slayer when I used to buy the DVDs and Blu-rays of that show and, and watch all the commentaries just in the background. Videos as well, I think, wasn't it? Or yeah. was it records? I can't remember. I'm not that bad. I'm not that old. I'm not that old. But uh, they didn't really do commentaries <laughs> on uh, on videos at the time. It was difficult to do yeah. the two, la- two layers of, uh, of commentary, you see. Um, but yeah, John, do you want to kick us into the uh, synopsis for the episode Stick? As the dust settles following the removal of the Russians and the new devil of Hell's Kitchen is revealed, Foggy makes his views known about his dislike for the man in black. And the crime syndicate reposition themselves as Leyland the Owl Owlsley begins to transfer the finance around to help Naboo with an important shipment into New York. At the same time, an important yet dogged 
obstinate and die-hard person from Matt's past returns to Hell's Kitchen. Stick, who taught the young Matt Murdock about his gifts and trained him to become a weapon, now seeks Matt's help to take on an unexpected enemy imported into New York that is threatening to introduce a new force on the streets of Matt's neighbourhood. In the meantime, Ben and Karen continue their research as they try to link disparate elements of their case together, from Union Allied to the tenement case against Mr Tully, through to the Yakuza and the Triads. Whilst Foggy is also brought into this circle of trust of Ben and Karen's after saving Karen from being mugged as again she gets too close to the truth. Mm, yeah, yeah. Wow. I'm delighted about this. This is really good and loving seeing Scott Glenn back on screen again. We know him very well from uh, from the wonderful Silence of the Lambs where he plays um, he plays Jodie Foster's boss in that, uh, which is one of your favorite, favorite uh, films. Loved. Yeah, uh, this I must say I was really excited to see um, Scott Glenn I love him in Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs is one of my most favourite films ever. Mm-hmm. And I have to also add that I am really, really enjoying Hannibal at the moment on TV. Of course. Just to add that in there. But I was really excited to see Scott Glenn uh, come in on this. And, yeah, I mean, he did not disappoint mm-hmm. at all. Um, I have never seen such harsh talk to a young child in the form of the young <laughs> Matt Murdock than Scott Glenn could deal out. I mean, fair juice to him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised uh, he, he wasn't sort of knifed in, in the back by <laughs> by uh, the young Matt Murdock. Um, I mean, it was it was a tough um, tough to see and to see this this, this grown man and um, someone that Matt Murdock is, is trying to almost idealize or see as a father figure again Mm. just sort of give harsh rebuke to him and to kind of create that separation and detachment from from the young kid i mean that was pretty brutal it was it was definitely and really really enjoyable Uh, so as you know listeners what we do normally on the episodes is we go through our five points that we've pulled out of the episode so we can hopefully get through everything that we've noticed within within this show Uh, so obviously this episode's called stick and does focus very very strictly on the character of stick it does have some other elements to talk about um but i think you've got your first point uh coming up which probably about stick i I guess yeah um basically um okay we're we're pg rated so i I can't really say it precisely how i'd want to so here's a slight right what rhymes with stick every man has one uh, and matt murdoch calls him i think (laughs) (laughs) um stick is ultimately a huge duck um Mm -hmm. really um in this and uh i just thought it was an excellent portrayal of this obstinate, dogged kind of guy who is a real just hard ass. He's, you know, everything about him is pure and utter sort of like self-contained. He's Mm -hmm. got, you know, the skin of elephant hide. You know, everything seems to bounce off him. And it contrasts with this young um, Matt Murdock in the flashbacks that is, you know seeking a father figure and um, but it even then transfers into their their hookup again when they they uh, meet out with the older matt murdoch now as the the vigilante yeah. where you know stick basically says to him 
you're too emotional and you know you need to cut yourself off from all this softness that you've surrounded uh, yourself from you know the silk sheets the the furniture the friends you've made you know the women that you've become attached to all of this and um, it's all pure detachment um, yeah. and it's the contrast between these two you know they both have these gifts and um, but um nonetheless there's there's a hurt there in Matt Murdock who you know with the whole um wristband that he gives to stick from the ice cream wrapper and mm. um, that 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 was a huge kind of um disappointment to him when it's not accepted for what it was which was a sign of affection a sign of trust a sign of friendship i suppose from the young Matt Murdock to to this old guy who's taking him on training him and teaching him stuff and mm. um, you know and quite positive messages to begin with you know you know are you going to sit around and, and wallow or are you going to sort of you know learn and try and do better than the hands you've been dealt mm-hmm. you know i think he makes the point you mean you could see for nine years basically you know i was born blind yeah i didn't ever get to experience the blue sky or watching films yeah and and it's a really interesting uh take um from stick to to matt murdoch but all of that i just thought it was relentlessly harsh from this older man to to the young kid Mm -hmm. and it was really just quite hardcore ruthless kind of um kind of guy and i think you see that even just in the opening sequence where he chops off the hand of the Mm -hmm. japanese guy when he's seeking out and asking where is the black sky and and he kind of says you know swear to me that this is true and he goes i swear on your family and he goes your family don't need you and i presumably chops his head off yeah and in a sort of a brutal sort of execution like i was just like you know, this guy is pretty hardcore Absolutely. pretty and um, focused and determined and ruthless and it also came out in how he treated the young man yeah absolutely what an intro for stick what a, what a great moment at the beginning of the episode you don't get to see his face until the moment he finishes doing his uh i suppose doing his execution on the uh on the japanese businessman um yeah it, it's fantastic um i i knew our other co-host irene had seen this episode of uh of daredevil had finally caught up yeah. Uh, to where she needed to be. Uh, unfortunately, as I said, she couldn't be here today. But I knew when she'd when she'd seen the episode because she the text message we received from her was "stick is a." Um, <laughs> so to, to, a, the word, a word that rhymes <laughs> with that. Yeah, I think she said that stick is a deck. Actually, yeah, uh, it's, stick is a fill in the gaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was choosing the uh, the rating for this podcast, I absolutely did not imagine that uh, that. Marvel was going to go this hard on uh, on Daredevil. I kind of wish I had so that we could kind of do a, a, not an all agents podcast, but a, a podcast that would be, um, I suppose, a bit more adult, just like the show is. So, uh, so unfortunately, I do apologize about having to to pull back on the language a little bit. But hey, um, they don't on the show, and you, you you know what word we're talking about. But uh, but yeah, I do love Scott. I Brand's love the innuendo. You know, it's a bit like um, it's complete innuendo filled, and you know. That's what I'm kind of quite good at, really. So. That's very true. That's very true. Um, <laughs> but I love this version of Stick. This is it's very similar to to um, to Frank Miller's 
uh, version of stick. Um, it was it was just pointed out by uh, by one of our the people who sent us feedback as well. Um, this is absolutely the version that um, that Frank Miller created for the comic books. Um, it was Ben and Adele who we mentioned in the feedback earlier on. They sent us some feedback saying this version of Stick is actually probably a little bit kinder to Matt than the version in the comic books, um, <laughs> which is which is even more difficult to take given our uh, the gut reaction. You do kind of like Stick even at the end of the episode. You still kind of like him, but probably because of Scott Glenn as an actor rather than because of the character because look at what he does during this episode he's brutal to our main character as a boy he's brutal to him as as an adult telling him to give up on all the padding that's around in his life and then he tells him that he's killed a kid Um, and then he gets into a big fight with him and leaves you know there's nothing to redeem the character other than the performance of Scott Glenn yeah but you don't necessarily dislike him you just kind of go you're an arse Mm mm-hmm which is bizarre that you can say that and not the not the front version of an ass. <laughs> that is true. You know, um, but he is or an ass or however. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's really odd. It, it's kind of, um, but you kind of maybe sense there's the necessity of it to some extent, uh, but still it, it makes it pretty uh, relentless to watch. Um, yeah. This this guy sort of. Um, being so harsh, really, yeah. Uh, to to a younger kid, the younger Matt Murdock, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, let alone the the older Matt Murdock. I mean, you know, poor Charlie Cox. <laughs> I, I mean, we're saying it again. We can't not say what I actually I intended on saying. <laughs> I know parental guidance podcast. So hopefully the parents are uh, are listening to this before they listen. Their kids listen to it. Yeah. So I mean, moving swiftly on. Um, What's one of your first points, Derek? I think in this episode, the exposition that we get about Matt's abilities is really important here. Um, You know, I I had mentioned before, I don't want to be sat down for an entire 50-minute episode and be told why Matt can do what he can do. But it's nice to get a bit more insight into the character and a bit more insight into what, you know, what he what he can do and where where it comes from essentially. So the first element that we see in here is that uh, Matt's living in uh, living in the and orphanage um, being taken care of by the nuns um, because of the death of his father. They think he's going crazy because of the toxic goo that got in his eyes um, and caused his blindness. Uh, Stick instantly goes, no, he's getting stronger. This is the Stick is the one that identifies that these this toxic element has now given him some additional powers that he didn't have in the past, which I think is great. It's just it's just a little cue that it is from the toxic um the toxic waste that's hit him and he is starting to get the extra powers of being able to hear everything um we have the fact that uh, that stick points out why he's been able to heal himself a little better than most people that get themselves into fights are he points out well not a huge explanation for it but he points out to matt that he should be training on his uh, meditation abilities which can help him heal his body quicker than he would heal if he didn't use meditation i'm not I suppose I'm not fully bought into the fact that getting stabbed and then meditating on it will help you heal a stab wound. Um, but but, uh, but I do understand at least they've given some explanation. Hopefully they'll give a bit, little bit more about, uh, about Matt's healing abilities. But then it brings us on to the, to the moment in the park where we get some, some very specific um, uses for Matt's hearing, essentially being able to hear the dog that's hungry because he can hear its belly um, rumbling. He can he can hear that the dog is excited because a man has walked past with a hot dog. Uh, he can hear that a woman's heart is beating fast, so therefore she must be in love. 
or as he says, is she having a heart attack? And then he hears the old man across the way from him and identifies that the old man must be dying and is told the world isn't full of lightness. Um, there is got, there's got to be darkness as well. So uh, lots of little examples of Matt's abilities in this episode, which I thought was great. Yeah, no, I, I must say I, I really liked the, the explanation that, you know, uh, Stick gives to the young Matt Murdock. Uh, I think it's just after he's thrown the keys and, you know, mm. he's there lying in bed and it's like lightning reflexes mm-hmm. um, where he does say um, they all think you're getting worse, that you're kind of getting crazy, but you're actually getting stronger. And I, I love all that. And you've kind of come to a, another one of my points, actually, which right. kind of ties in with that whole um, park bench scene mm-hmm. and again it is down to the explanation of his powers or his gift to be able to um, read a situation without sight and, and I, I really liked the dialogue between Stick and Matt Murdock on the park bench I thought it was really um, a nice kind of gesture regarding his his senses where he runs through the dog on the lead as you say the woman falling in love with her fiance or or boyfriend uh, where skin is all hot and burning as well as her heart running and the old man feeding the pigeons and just that whole description of vanilla ice cream where Mm. he says anyone can taste vanilla but can you taste that it's you know three different dairies a host of chemicals um all this kind of thing the dirt on the man's hands uh, who had had served it and I, i just think as well this contrasts nicely with what i was sort of saying about the the ruthlessness of of scott glenn to me this is kind of he's still quite harsh but there is also a um, a tenderness or a kind of this this teacher student relationship where it's helping, and you kind of buy into that aspect in this scene. For, or certainly, I did, and the dialogue between them is a bit less sort of harsh. Yeah, and um, you you see him as a teacher teaching the young Matt Murdock rather than simply say chastising him to an extent Mm -hmm. and i really kind of like that and of course you have the whole ice cream uh, and and it's wrapper then moving forward were um you know for matt murdoch he is seeing this guy as that teacher as that guardian or father figure Mm -hmm. that to the point where he creates the little um sort of wristband for Stick who immediately rejects it and then leaves uh, the young Matt Murdock's life um, for 20 years until he returns back uh, in this episode. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's incredibly bittersweet, really. Yeah. Um, this whole thing, all centred around this really nice bit of um, sort of dialogue, I think, on the park bench. This um, this whole um, scene is is great and it contrasts with the harshness of of stick and i think that's why ultimately yes you think he is a bit of an arse but you don't necessarily totally dislike him mm-hmm. i think by the end um okay that depends on how you view it but i, I think this is a really nice bit of scene i i loved it yeah yeah it is it is as i said earlier on it is a reference to the the Frank Miller version of Stick, essentially, who trains up Matt Murdock for a very specific purpose, which we, which we don't find out here at all. He's training Matt for a purpose, and here he talks about him. He wants to train him as a soldier, um, but he does start to care for him. Um, it, it the way it looks throughout this episode is that 
uh, essentially that Matt has let Stick down, um, has done something to uh, to irritate Stick or done something to disappoint Stick, um, but essentially it's that he's not he's Stick has has come to care for him, uh, and because of that he can't treat him like a soldier, which he thought he was going to be able to. Uh, that's kind of the way it comes across. So yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting. Be- yeah, and the whole reference to um, you know, I'm training you for a war that yeah. is coming, and I was there trying to go. Well, you know, what's the war of that's course. coming? Yeah. Obviously, that's the immediate question that comes to mind. I was thinking, well, is it the civil war mm-hmm. um, between the superheroes? I mean, just started reading Shadowlands as well, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole uh, Marvel comic series that involves Fisk, Daredevil. Iron Fist, um, Luke Cage, um, doesn't include Jessica Jones, I don't think, but um, it has all these characters in there, and, and this is all about the Far East uh, element uh, and the Hand, mm-hmm. and there is hints of the Hand and Electra in here as well, so is it this kind of war, or is it some very far-reaching premonition about the war for Hell's Kitchen between... Um, Wilson Fisk and and his crime syndicate and then the ordinary people. Yeah. Um, I suspect it might be more to do with the mystical sort of elements maybe, I think. Um, Certainly given the ending of this episode. Yeah, that was the question that immediately popped into my mind. And I also got quite excited because I thought, oh, this is linking in really nicely with Iron Fist as well. Right. Well, let's jump to that end and then for my next point, I suppose, <laughs> uh, since, you're, since you're jumping on to it. Um, so right at the end of the episode, we see Stick returning to somebody else connected with him. And obviously, what, what, do, I, what do you do at the end of that episode? You go Google what, uh, what could possibly have happened. Um, this, again, is another reference to the storyline I was speaking of in, uh, in The Man Without Fear. Um, Stick has trained Matt Murdock. Um, to become Daredevil. He's also trained the character of Elektra in the comic book, um, both as soldiers in a potential war. Um, the character he's speaking to in this episode uh, is from those Daredevil comic books, and it's a very similar scene. It's almost directly from the comic book page where Stick is sitting across from the back of a of an unknown man. Uh, this unknown man is a character called Stone, who it works for Stick and was also trained by Stick for up for this war essentially that is to come. And this is the guy with the heavily scarred back. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It looks like he may have taken a beating for uh, during his training. Basically, a lot of whipping uh, may have happened. I suppose. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I had to had to look up. I love the fact that it's connecting into potentially a much larger world for Daredevil. You know, we saw in the last episode that uh, that the actions of the the man in the black mask, Daredevil. Uh, are being shown are being shown on by the media. They are showing his actions to the rest of the of, of the US at the very least. Um, so he's he's not just a Hell's Kitchen hero anymore. He's not just someone that is working in the Hell's Kitchen environment. All the enemies that he's fighting are from very different countries. They're all working together within Hell's Kitchen. And what this uh, this moment with Stick and with the character of Stone, um, that I think anyway. Um, it seems to be connecting to a much larger universe, possibly the Marvel Cinematic Universe, or very possibly the Defenders TV show, which we'll get to in the end. So this could be our first big glimpse into the Defenders TV miniseries. There's my mm. guess. There's my thoughts. I can't wait. Yeah. 
Oh my goodness, it's going to take far too long to get there. Nah, no, nah, we've got <laughs> we've got four other great long shows. No, on, exactly, uh, and I can't there. wait, but and I can't wait for season two of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, oh, I want to find out. I want to find out. I'm quite excited. Yeah, no, this is this is really really interesting. It's like this Hell's Kitchen. This Hell's Kitchen. I mean, Hell's Kitchen in New York is this melting pot of sort of vile villainy and scorn mm-hmm. and criminals and mobsters but they all want to make it better but you know for what ends and, and what's the purpose and yeah these outside influences then are really really interesting yeah. um, and how they impact on on hell's kitchen and to an extent we have to ask the question why are they choosing this this area mm-hmm. you know if we do have um Greenwich Village just down the road with the Sorcerer Supreme uh, <laughs> meditating. You know, here is one connection. Um, Daniel Rand, who is ultimately the Iron Fist, and his connection mm-hmm. with those, you start to see why these people are putting and placing importance on this area of New York, but New York in general, I reckon. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, really interesting, definitely. All right, that's my that's my point. I jumped a little bit ahead on that one towards the end of the episode, so my apologies. But, John, do you want to give us your next point? I was wondering, and this is a question really, was the child that was in the container mm. that Stick was sent there to, to kill with the bow and arrow and ultimately in that scene was saved by Daredevil because he was like, I don't want any killing here. Yeah. Was that kid really killed by stick later on so this was the black sky wasn't it yeah That's what it was called. i presu- yeah i mean we don't see the child being killed and mm-hmm. um, all we hear is um sticks word for for that yeah to both to matt murdoch and i think to an extent when he reports back to the person who we're assuming is stone mm-hmm. to say that you know he's done his um He's done his deeds so that the weapon has been neutralized. Yeah. But we don't see it happen. Yeah. And you do ask the question if this weapon is so terrifying, I think Stick makes the point that if you can kill this shipment, the person in this shipment, um, and Stick says this to, to Matt Murdock, even Wilson Fisk will be. Um, afraid of you because this is the one thing that he is afraid of so i'm wondering whether he has truly killed this young child yeah and that was in chains in the container and taken out by nobu um and his gang Mm -hmm. yeah um i know what you mean i think the reveal of the child being the weapon uh, was a great reveal. It felt like the Golden Child. Remember that movie from the I certainly did. Like I loved that with um, Charles Dance. Yeah, and perhaps maybe because I've been watching a lot of Agents of Shield, I'm uh, quite quite of the belief that this could possibly be an Inhuman in the Daredevil universe. If you've been watching Agents of Shield at all, you'll see they've just revealed the Inhumans, which are characters with potential superpowers or super abilities because of their because of their transformations. I'm wondering if this character, the Black Sky, could possibly be. And inhuman, just like the other guy. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really interesting because I think the Inhumans have got their light and dark sides as well. Not yeah. all Inhumans are evil. Not all of them are, are good. And just that reference to Sky and the Black Sky is an interesting possible connection to Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which 
hopefully it is. It, again, it all links back to um, some mountainous range when I immediately think of the ancient one with Doctor Strange yeah. and I immediately think of uh, Kun Lun for um, Iron Fist mm -hmm. and these kind of spiritual home homes of, of, of these characters and, and that relate to their origins and to you know, fundamental aspects of their character. So I'm really kind of interested to see whether this child was actually killed or whether they're still alive and are still going to take part in this bigger plan that is occurring in Hell's Kitchen. And one quick thing here is just I love the fact that the Billy Clubs really come into their own here for the first time in the... The, the season so far. That's right. Uh, we, we see briefly him picking up some pipes and so on and, and using them a la Billy Clubs. But this is really proper, you know, sort of training Billy Clubs here. And I have to say, uh, it made me chuckle, the, the takedown of one of the Japanese guards that just gets this Billy Club to the head and he falls <laughs> into, into the river, right. um, into the Hudson, presumably, and um, just it's... It's kind of a panned back shot, and uh -huh. all the people in front have no idea that this has just happened. I thought it was um, comedy gold. I thought it was brilliant. I loved it. Nice bit of nice yeah. bit of humor there, definitely for for this kind of episode. Definitely. So there is one other connection in this episode to Marvel's Agents of Shield. I was wondering how this was going to actually okay, play in. Really? Yeah, yeah. I thought I was wondering how this was going to play in, and I'm really sorry that Chris couldn't be here because this is one that he pinned to the dareboard a couple so of weeks Chris, ago. So Chris, I think. He is. He is. He wishes he could be here and he wishes I wouldn't steal this from him, but I'm sorry. Um, essentially, the orphanage where Matt Murdock is uh, is stationed when uh, when the stick comes and picks him up, that orphanage is St. Agnes's. And St. Agnes's is where Skye from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., who is also an orphan, was also stationed. So I'm wondering if we will see a young Skye in the orphanage with uh, with Matt Murdock at some point. That would be awesome if that happened, mm -hmm. uh, for sure. Um, and I have a suspicion that it might. It wouldn't be surprising to me if Marvel had thought about these intricacies that much. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It seems as though everyone in Marvel HQ obviously just sits down and uh, does, like, internal podcasts. <laughs> uh, and it's like a, a, a brainstorming session, mm -hmm. I, I reckon. Um <laughs> But, I yeah, think, no, I think um, that would be great if that happened, uh, just to get catch a glimpse of uh, the young Sky in that orphanage. Um, and also, next week, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we might not be joined by Derek, as Chris is probably going to kill you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I love the fact that we've got two seasons, and I love how the continuity sits with all these films. It's one of the things that makes it so interesting to watch the Marvel properties because there is continuity between all the t all the shows and all the TVs. Stephen Denise, the showrunner for this show, specifically said he was responsible for the running of the TV show. Marvel were responsible for the continuity. So there is definitely some stuff layered in that we're missing. There's stuff that's layered in that, we are, that we're catching. And this is one that we caught a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Chris caught it when he was watching the, uh, one of the early episodes, was wondering whether the orphanage that Matt goes to is 
the orphanage that Sky went to and it's been confirmed so this is the same orphanage so hopefully we'll get to see it unless it's just one orphanage in New York and it just happens to be a coincidence there's loads of St Agnes's orphanages possible uh, that was my next point one stolen from Chris John do you want to have your next point <laughs> I liked um I like Foggy's view of the Devil of Hell's Kitchen. Mm. I like the fact that, you know, they're having this chat in their office between him, uh, Matt, and Karen. And, you know, he's basically saying that he thinks the masked man is a coward, he's a terrorist, and all the while the Matt's in the office, um, you know, not saying anything, just quiet in in the corner and you get this exchange between foggy karen uh, and matt about um the mass vigilante his motives whether he's on the side of right or wrong yeah um, you know all of these elements um and i just find that really interesting because i just wonder whether um you know this ultimately leads to a future confrontation between um Matt Murdock and Foggy Nelson. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that at some point we're going to see some kind of reveal um, of Daredevil being Matt Murdock. It may be just to Karen or it could be to Foggy, but mm-hmm. this is really Foggy stating his position on the mass vigilante. And it's not a positive one. Mm-hmm. And it's one that would make for great dramatic sort of. Um, follow through with regards to how that relationship survives that reveal of Matt to be this mass vigilante, the daredevil. Yeah, absolutely. I think Irene made the point on our our last episode when we discussed Foggy that she finds him very interesting as a character that he is um, that he is very innocent that the fact that he takes everything at, at face value the fact that he believes the media when they when they're the ones that have made this decision to uh, to call the character the devil and say that it's his fault that the hell's kitchen was on fire essentially um you know she liked the fact that he was that he has that innocence about him uh, in this episode he's criticizing um Karen Page's innocence for believing that it's not the daredevil because he saved her in the past he questions the fact that her knowledge of the daredevil her knowledge of the man in black that saved her maybe he was just trying to beat up somebody else is is, is the point of view that that he has and um, i thought that was quite interesting for this episode another thing that i really thought was interesting is that it's the media that call him the devil and um, this is the first time we've seen anybody external to mass talk about the devil in connection with him we've heard matt talk about the fact that his father had the devil inside him and um, and I have it inside me too. And now the newspapers are calling him the devil because of the fires in New York. And I think that's a nice little, uh, I suppose, a, ni- a nice little MCUing of the character, if you, if you, if you pardon the phrase, um, that it is coming from an external source. It is coming from the newspapers. Yeah, no, I, I must say I loved the, um, I loved the moment where Matt, in a sense, you know, defends this guy to say that well you know we don't know why he's doing this you know Mm -hmm. he's trying to keep that distance between obviously him knowing that he's this guy doing it and then um trying to just have a regular conversation with foggy and with karen and i I like the whole notion you know that no one shouldn't no one should be tried 
in the press, which is what's happening here. Absolutely. And that's obviously, it's a Wilson Fisk-owned, uh, occupied and paid-for press. Mm-hmm. So this isn't... Um, you know, this kind of harks back to that whole media element as well that we talked about in the last one about you know who owns the words that are written on the paper or the images that that show up on the screen because money pays for it. Yeah. And th- this is quite a, kind of a nice tie into that, but it's also um, to um, Matt's whole motives as a lawyer as well, where he says they shouldn't be tried in the press. It would be his right to have. Our law firm represents um, him uh, in a court of law yeah. if he was shown to be one of the bad guys. Yeah, you know, yeah, and I like that. I like that. I mean, it, nice it, it's relevant, exactly. Yeah, nice um, it, it's good to have these realistic sort of conversations. I think yeah. I, I really like that. Don't believe anything you read in the press. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. So then, what's uh, what's your next point, Derek? Uh, kind of sticking with Karen. Um, the scene with Karen and, and Miss Cardenas, uh, I really enjoyed. I think it was really good to see, firstly, a whole scene in Spanish, which I thought was really good. I love I love when they bring the subtitles in here. It's a it's a really unusual thing that Netflix are doing um, by, you know, holding conversations in the natural language of the people that are in the episode. I like that Karen stumbling over her words again, harking back to the fact that she said she only really remembers Spanish from when she was... In, in high school um, this isn't something that she's kept up all the time so she is stumbling over words but she does have some really interesting conversations here it is quite a serious topic that they're discussing who, would, who is it that's trying to push the, um, the people out of their buildings who were the heavies that were sent around to push them out of their buildings um, but actually there's some nice little humour in there there's some nice little touches where each of them curses left, right, uh, left to right and centre and looks to Jesus on the wall to forgive them for their curses. I thought that was a really good uh, good little gag in there that was repeated a couple of times. It felt like something from, you know, like a, a, a 50s kind of slapstick comedy almost. It was a little a little touch to just bless yourself after you've after you've said said something that wouldn't be respectful to the to the Lord in the room, essentially. I thought that was quite fun. Yeah, no, it was. I thought it was an, a nice little touch. Um, and it, it was interesting to see the the conversation um develop in spanish but then the swear words were were in english yeah. um, and i just i thought that was a nice touch and i actually i'm quite liking that mrs cardenas like being involved as as much i wasn't expecting to see her again mm-hmm. and it's nice to see her come through again in, into some of these later episodes mm. now um and then of course we also see Foggy um, pretty handy with a baseball bat. He might actually uh, make the baseball team in the end. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was a pretty big crack across the, the head of that mugger, Aller, paid for by Wilson Fisk. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely like that the that the scene ended with a, a heroic moment for our Foggy, you know, something where he goes and saves and saves the woman that he's definitely got an attraction to. I like that Miss Cartinas points it out to Karen and she didn't notice you know there's nothing more beautiful than a man uh, than a man who's in love and Karen realises at that moment that uh, that Foggy has feelings for um, but yeah that, that, that scene the uh, the baseball bat to the head from, from Foggy I thought it was a little bit much in a way I thought it was a little bit like a, that little extra whack didn't feel like something Foggy would do, you know. Um, Mace to the face, back to the head. Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, interesting touch. I guess the show is is going to pretty 
heavy extremes in there and Foggy wanted to take out a bit of rage on the on the would be mugger of his potential possible girlfriend, maybe in the future, maybe sort of possible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's how Foggy would think about this. We've stuff got our head. fingers crossed for, for Foggy and for Karen, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, John, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah, um, yeah, no, my fifth point, um, and it's no reference to um, the American band of the 60s and 70s, um, but it is, quite simply, what are the doors? Mm. What is the um, reference to these doors that are going to open that the guy Stone that we've talked about says to, to stick when he reports back to um, to him? Um, and, you know, why will Matt Murdock be ready um, when the doors open? Yeah. Will he be ready when the doors open? I was trying to think, well, what are these these doors? Are they to another realm, say, like Thor? Mm-hmm. To another plane, say, like Doctor Strange? He has his astral plane. and mm. um, Or... Um, is it m- relating to things like the Iron Fist and the Seven Cities of Heaven mm. that um, you know, and the immortal weapons that come through were um, from Kunlun? That's dealt with in a uh, I think Matt Fraction Ed Brubaker s- a series of, of comics that I think we can put in the, the show notes yeah. for this. Um, I can't remember the titles off the top of my head, but it's a great sequence of. Um, Kunlun being this gateway and and the dragon that gives the Iron Fist his, his power yeah. um, and how this is all linked into this mystical war that's going on uh, and it, it relates potentially to what Stick and Stone are talking about but you have um, these doors that it could be that and that would tie in with the Iron Fist or is it simply the opening of um, container ship stores um, and you know we have seen people dressed as red ninjas in the trailer um, which could be you know a nod to the hand and all the ninjas we are still talking about um, uh, Nobu the the Japanese um, mafia boss rather than say Madame Gao, who is from China, and you could link maybe more to the Nepalese and the Tibetan aspects um, of Kunlum and the Iron Fist and also the Ancient One and Doctor Strange. So I was just wondering, there's so many different possible connections that could happen here, just from a simple reference to when the doors are opened. Is Matt Murdock an immortal weapon? I know the Iron Fist is, and so I suspect not. But he is being described as a weapon. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's interesting that you point this out, and I mentioned it earlier on and didn't even think about it. Uh, As I said, there was a reference earlier on with Matt healing himself with meditation, and meditation is very connected to Kunlun, the ability of the Iron Fist to heal himself by meditation. So I wonder, is that one of the references that you're speaking about? Yeah, Yeah. I wonder if it's layered in there. Yeah, A really good interest in... Uh, sort of comment coming from this guy with the scars on his back and I remember when we did our first podcast about the whole universe of Daredevil but also how it would link in with aka Jessica Jones, Mm. Luke Cage Iron Fist, all these street level um, heroes but one of the things I think we mentioned was Danny Rand as the Iron Fist has a very different element uh, say to 
say Luke Cage or some of the others where it is this relation to Kunlun and to these mystical cities yeah. in in the mountains um, and how would that be pulled in to essentially Manhattan and New York City mm-hmm. and more specifically Hell's Kitchen and I think we're beginning to see the genesis of this here it's obviously I suppose for Daredevil there's Electra uh, and the Hand and those references, mm-hmm. but we're starting to see this build out from um, New York City yeah. and, and those connections with other members of um, presumably the Defenders. So yeah. I, I'm really looking forward um, to seeing more little snippets along the way for this. But I must say the question still remains, you know. What are these doors that are going to open, and where are they situated, and what will come through them? I suppose yeah. more importantly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I do think it's hugely important for this Netflix show to start layering in that stuff, start layering in some elements for the introduction of Iron Fist, to start layering in some elements for a more superpowered being like Luke Cage would be. And um, this is because this particular show has been, you know, quite quite realistic in its in its approach. Uh, if it's going to connect to the to the MCU to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's going to need those kind of connections starting to get built in, and I thought that was a really good uh, a really good way to do it in this particular episode. And um, it does remind me of one particular element that we did miss from episode one when we recorded the day of release on Daredevil. Uh, just in case anybody else missed it, uh, in episode one, the truck that crashes that uh, releases the um, the toxic waste that goes into Matt Murdock's eyes. Um, have a quick pause on the uh, on the truck where you see it turned over on its side. On the door of the truck, there is Rand Industries, and we did miss it in the first episode. We but. certainly did, and we also are aware of a symbol uh, associated with Madame Gao that, when you look at it, seems to represent half of the dragon symbol on the Iron Fist's uh, chest That's right. as well. That's right. So there's some really... Uh, neat little connections um, taking place here, which you have to be really eagle-eyed to to spot them. Uh, we're pretty good, but we're missing we're missing some bits and pieces. So obviously, it's great that we have the internet, and it's great that other people are wa- able to watch all the episodes. So some people are just focused on pulling out the the uh, Easter eggs, so we're able to talk about them on the episodes. So. But speaking of the internet, uh, I'd just like to say that the whole series by um, Matt Fraction and Ed Brubacker, and it's also got um, Kano, Zojic, and Aja as artists on there, um, that it is the um, collected versions. They're the the books that I've got. Mm -hmm. Um, The Collected Immortal Iron Fist, Volumes 1 and 2, and it's specifically the second volume, which deals with the seven capital cities of heaven Mm -hmm. uh, and this whole battle uh, and tournament of the immortal weapons of these seven capital cities of heaven. Um, And it all involves the Iron Fist. Um, So this could be an element that's being played out in this conversation or referenced in this conversation between Stick uh, and Stone. Uh, and that's just to say it collects the Immortal Iron Fist issues 8 to 14. Right, right. And I think it would make total sense for Netflix to have chosen, you know, some potential path for Daredevil or for Matt Murdock that he could have been one of the Iron Fists. He could have been an Immortal Iron Fist, but wasn't chosen for whatever reason. We haven't learnt it in this particular episode, but we know that Stick started to treat him like his own son or started to treat him like someone that he cared about rather than a soldier so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out in uh, 
in future episodes of the show. And so, Derek, what's your uh, final point? Uh, my final point is kind of going back a little bit, but it's it's back on the differences between Matt and Stick. It's more to do with the difference between Scott Glenn playing the part of a man blinded at birth versus um, Charlie Cox playing the part of Matt Murdock, who was blinded at the age of nine after seeing the world around him for nine years. I think it was a re- some really good touches in here, and I'm sure they must have gotten some coaching on how to how to play the part. You know, Matt Murdock is essentially a character that doesn't exist in the world. He's a, he's a person that. Uh, has been blinded at the age of nine, um, but obviously has some form of superpowers or heightened senses in there. Um, Scott Glenn isn't that character. Scott Glenn's character of Stick is a character blinded at birth who's learned how to do many, many things. So there is some slight little subtle differences that I noticed when I was watching the episode. Uh, For example, the fact that Stick uses a stick, a a walking cane, to find his way around various buildings, which makes me think that he gets the name Stick from Matt Murdock as almost like a criticism of the fact that he's different to him, the fact that he has to use a stick to get around. It's almost like an insult to the character. He's a blind, uh, he's this blind master, but it's almost like a kind of a, a, a gag insult you'd give to a teacher of yours. You'd make up something about them that would stand out to you. And for Matt, as a blind character who doesn't need a stick to get around, he calls him Stick. But he does use the stick occasionally, but that's more as a, a pretense. That's so, right. And um, does stick use that for the same purpose but he has it much more frequently than than matt does it would appear yeah yeah there's a couple of little touches when he's in the apartment with matt where he gets the beer from the fridge and um essentially walks to the walks to the couch to sit down he does touch it with his leg to find exactly the right point to sit down which is something you never see matt do uh, when he's sitting you tend you generally tend to see him walk towards the chair turn around and sit rather than do what Scott Glenn does I thought that was a nice little touch and that awesome scene with the beer bottle uh, where he pops off the bottle top lid hits it off four walls and it goes into the bin from uh, from Scott Glenn's uh, Scott Glenn's master of, of yeah, the environment no, stick absolutely. I thought that was quite cool yeah yeah um, but that's a couple, just a couple of little touches and a couple of little differences in the way they play the character. Matt, you do see Matt look much more for um, for where the where the voice is coming from, a character he's speaking to. Scott Glenn ha- has no ability to see at all, has never seen in his life, so he does seem to look in a different kind of direction that uh, a blind character would, um, rather than a person who's been visually impaired from the age of nine, which I thought was quite interesting. A couple of little, little good touches in the acting in these scenes, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's a tricky, a tricky thing to pull off, and I, I suppose there's there's different ways of doing it, and there are different methods here. You have Stick, uh, born blind, mm-hmm. and Matt Murdock becomes blind, and the, those differences, even the fact that Matt Murdock's eyes are clear, and Scott Glenn's have got that opaqueness about them. That's right. Um, so that's really interesting um, to to hear about that he's got that specific condition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was discussed in an interview by Charlie Cox that that sort of opaqueness to the cornea and to the eyeball is down to a um, uh, a particular disease or infection or something of the eyeball and that not all blind people would have that. That's right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a common way of identifying someone as blind and so you can understand uh, why it's done, definitely. And it's interesting that, again, with these two characters, they chose different ways to just represent blindness even with their eyes, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, so. that's right, yeah. But I think um, with that, you know, are there any other little notes on, on this episode that you want to quickly throw in there? 
Uh, there's nothing particularly. I think this was a really good episode, I must say. Um, but nothing particularly that I uh, that I pulled out. I did enjoy the um, obviously Matt getting his billy clubs, uh, much more so than uh, as you mentioned earlier on, much more so than we'd seen in the last episode. I thought that was just going to be a nice little gag, but the fact that Stick throws the billy clubs to him and says you're going to need these um, is quite interesting. I wonder how that's going to play out in the future. Um, and obviously the beer cap uh, was was another little note that I that I enjoyed, but I have talked about that. Uh, John, you got any other notes about the episode? Yeah, I um, I actually thought I was going to be going through this episode. It was getting towards the end, and I thought, do you know, there's not that one moment where I've had to recoil from the TV because of the brutal violence right. and the sound effect to convey that, not just the visuals. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just, I've actually really thought it's been so visceral, as mm-hmm. I said in the last episode. And I was going along thinking, okay, this isn't going to have any of those moments. And then there was the fight between the older Matt Murdock and Stick in Matt's apartment and you had the what I'm calling the top rope uh, WWF slam <laughs> on the stairs. Oh yeah, uh, where I think I did feel a pain in my lower back as um, Stick came crashing down on that lower step, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Eek!" And I recoiled. So yep. you've done it again, Daredevil. You've done it again, Netflix. You've done it again, Marvel. Uh, you, you've made me feel really quite. Squeamish. I mean, I do literally think all my discs popped uh-huh. at the same time when I saw that. But uh, that was a little <laughs> point where I was like, ooh. Um, and then one of the only other notes that I've got is I liked Leyland Owsley's um, talk about the numbers and the money mm-hmm. and how he moves them around and how they speak to him like... Um, tea leaves would do for a, a, a tea leaf reader and a, a, a yeah. mystic. I just kind of thought that was a really nice sort of contrast between that crystal ball gazing and, and tea leaf reading and then the you know the hard accountancy and the numbers but they speak to the same people um, just in very different ways and that he can work out what's going on by the money he's transferring and shifting. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a nice little way of providing some exposition as to what the Japanese were doing um, at the docks um, that could have just been delivered in such a maybe a, a regular way. Mm-hmm. And this was just tied up nicely, I think, with, again, maybe the, the slight mystical element of this episode. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like that. I also like the fact that Leyland Owsley, you know, got to shine with a taser in his hand um, and a, a good old jab into to Matt Murdock. Well done, Mr. Owsley. Yeah, certainly, certainly. We cur- we definitely do not think of him as a doddering pencil pusher. Um, yeah, he was uh, he was really good in this episode. It's nice to see a bit more of him. You know, again, I've I found that he's been a bit of the sense of humor, a bit of the a bit of the humor of the show, really, uh, in the episodes we've seen him in so far. And I'm hoping we're going to see more of uh, more of this character. Really, really good. Uh, really good episode for him this episode and um, I think that closes out our, our discussion review of this episode yeah so do you defend this episode I, I definitely defend this episode Stick uh, has been brought to life better than I thought he could have been um, he works really really well in this episode he is a bad ass and a bit of an arse um, but really really good and I love the fact that we have uh, have a fight between the two characters and that he holds his own with, uh, with our Matt Murdock um, but Matt 
has definitely got his training from some other sources as well. So let's hope we see a bit of that as well in the future. Um, yeah, definitely defend this episode. John, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? I certainly do defend this episode of Daredevil. I would give this a really nice, solid um, four tea leaves out of five, really. <laughs> um, it kind of brings in a whole new element to the show, and, and it's this Far Eastern element coming in and those maybe otherworldly aspects that could be happening in this show and more importantly in future shows um within this series yeah. uh, especially in relation to the iron fist so i i, I like the fact that these things were being teased out here and maybe just beginning the the genesis of them that to me was really good i thought scott glenn was amazing as stick i think his performance of this die hard was excellent and that contrasted nicely with matt murdoch's more gooey emotional uh, soft-centered approach to kicking ass (laughs) um and i i kind of really liked it for for that reason and i would definitely defend this episode yeah Excellent. Well, thanks very much again for listening. And obviously, if you want to send us any kind of feedback, please email us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. That is the best way to get in contact with us. We will read out any feedback on future episodes of the show. Uh, You can also follow us on Facebook at Defenders TV Podcast. You can find us there. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the episode so that you can get our Avengers Age of Ultron review and the next episode of Daredevil review, which will be coming out next week. Uh, Subscribe at DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. And also, if possible, pop us a review on iTunes. It's always good to make sure that people can find our episodes as they come out. Remember, you can also um, follow us on Twitter at DefendersCast. Um, Just search defenders cast or defenders tv podcast uh, and you'll find us but once again thank you so much for listening we hope you enjoyed this episode of daredevil and our podcast as much as we enjoyed daredevil and of course reviewing it for you so thanks so much and we will speak to you next time yep thanks so much for joining us irene and chris will be back for the avengers age of ultron as all the defenders review the avengers thanks very much for listening thank you bye